Hello and a warm welcome to Music Allies uh, podcast. This is episode nine, taken from Music Allies uh, weekly TV show that runs on Zoom every Friday at 3 p.m. UK time, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, now each week we get a panel of Music Ally analysts and expert guests to t- discuss a current topic in detail. And uh, this week's was particularly interesting given current circumstances. We're looking past necessity and novelty and into the future the real future of live streaming performances. We're joined by uh, two experts, uh, one from a platform, that's Russ Tannen, who's CRO of DICE, who recently launched a uh, live streaming component to their platform, and Roxanne de Bastion, artist and board director of the Featured Artist Coalition, who recently virtually toured around the UK to support her new single release. So we'll be talking about live streaming, what do users want, what do artists want, and what are the payment opportunities in the future where live streaming is normal. It's a great conversation, and we're going to jump in right where the panel starts. Now, live streaming gigs are, and events are kind of quickly have become de rigueur, um, but will they have longevity? How will it fit into a longer-term marketing and income mix? And what are the short-term opportunities as well as those long-term opportunities? Um, we'll be talking to uh, Russ uh, and to Roxanne about this. And um, what we want to dig into here is, like I said at the start, what do users want? What do artists want? And what are those payment opportunities? And what are the changes that might need to happen from the artist side, the platform side, and even the fan side to ride out the sort of novelty phase and turn live streaming uh, into money for artists and to truly unique intimate performances for fans. Now, um, some people are already asking questions and that's great. If you've got one, please hit the Q&A button at the bottom of the Zoom screen and we're gonna try and get all those questions across to our illustrious panel of Hen, Roxanne and Russ. Uh, so, um, Russ, I'm gonna start with you uh, on the platform side, if that's okay. Um, can you explain briefly, just bring us up to speed of what's happened, your coronavirus hit and you launched pretty quickly dice tv so what is that how does it work and what was the what was your rationale behind doing that yeah i'll I'll go um quickly sort of one step further back just in case people don't know what dice is so um we launched dice um six years ago and it's um in that time we've established it is really the market leader for um, mobile and digital ticketing um working with everyone from premium era sound to venues like scala in london um and we're live in the UK, the US, France, Spain, Italy, and Australia. And really, um, business was booming. Uh, it was really an amazing uh, time going into uh, uh, the first quarter of this year and um, working with more and more um, partners and, and just getting lots of fans out to gigs. Um, it's just, just an incredible time. And obviously, as you said, um, that, that stopped and it stopped uh, really abruptly. I mean, we really went to zero ticket sales like um almost overnight um that weekend in the middle of march and we kind of seen it coming we've got us set up in italy they were a few weeks ahead of us things were slowing down there um and they were obviously in a lockdown um, before we were in the uk but it's um it, it really it still really took us by surprise i think just how quickly it kind of um stopped and we really had to like many businesses just look at okay, we've got um, this big team, like uh, all of our business as usual has is, is ended. Um, and w- what should we do? And um, we, we sort of split the business into lots of small teams. I guess one of the, one of the benefits of being a, a startup and um, having a very sort of um, agile thinking kind of team that can respond quickly 
Um, we, we split the company into lots of teams around projects. And one of those projects was around live streaming. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a first thought really, like let's see um, what we could do with live streaming, what we'd need to do with the app um, to be able to um, make it appropriate for live streaming. And then we saw a couple of signals that really um, made us feel confident that it was something we should start to pursue. The first was uh, at a festival with a promoter that we just signed in the US and it came through maybe the first or second weekend of the lockdown and it was a, a weekend event raising money for charity called Digital Mirage. Um, and it, it, was, it blew us away because they raised almost $300,000 and it just suddenly signaled to us that live streams, which has obviously existed for a long time, um, you know, alongside TV performances and session videos and all these other types of, of video content of artists performing, um, but it, it signaled to us that people would be willing to pay. Um, and also the, the, the fan issue was very clear, very quickly for us, which was there were so many streams happening and they were all over the internet, you know, some on Instagram, some on YouTube, some on Facebook, some on Twitch. There were, and it was, there was no um, easy way to navigate that as a fan. And we realized that the, the, the discovery algorithm that we spent the last six years developing was going to suddenly perfectly be um, set up to show the right fans, the right um, streaming concerts, and just make it very easy for them to discover the events, um, buy the tickets or donate to charity. And then also at the moment that the stream is starting or just before, um, to send them the streaming link um, where, wherever that stream is. So it just made it much easier um, for fans to, to navigate the fact that all of a sudden you have, you know, a thousand streams happening. And really the volume of, of um, streams that we've seen over the last, uh, yeah, what's it been, 10 weeks now, I guess, coming up to three months is, is huge. We've had um, over 2,800 um, live stream events through the, through the app. So just a a huge volume um, but it but it has definitely changed um, over over that time quite a lot um, so do, do, I can go straight into it if you want. Well I mean we'll, we'll hold on perhaps to some of that I think we, we'll talk to um, Roxanne and Hen just quickly yeah. but that's fascinating how it the, the, the quick it's been quickly adopted and enthusiastically yeah. adopted by people on all sides which, which is yeah. a fascinating like you say a, a bit of a step change in how we're consuming music and um, Roxanne similar sort of question a little bit from the other side which is you were uh, faced with exactly the same problem sudden problem you, you've uh, recorded a fantastic new single um, and suddenly everything changes you can't tour to support it how what was the process the thought process i mean yes you made the leap to live streaming quite quickly but how did you sort of find the right platforms to do it how did you come up with the concept of the virtual tour and all those kind of things well i recorded um a whole album so the whole release strategy was sort of yeah thrown out the window but you know everyone's in the same boat um the first Sort of the first thing that happened was I got invited to be part of Self Esteem's festival that she put on for charity on Instagram. And that worked so well for me just in terms of um, gaining some new fans and being put in front of a completely different audience without leaving literally my bedroom. That um, it was then really where I thought, ah, this could, this could really work. Where, who else will have me on their channel? Like, what else can I do? Um, and then I decided that it would be best to just go ahead to release the first single, to keep at it, to keep in touch with people. So the thought process was, 
as you said, it was out of necessity, really. I've got this single release coming up, what can I do? Um, so I decided to stream on Facebook and Instagram and team up, essentially do takeovers. So team up with different independent venues and promoters that I've worked with in the past to um, jump on their channels and play a show. And how, uh, what was the reaction from those venues and, and you know, j jumping across different people's channels to promote it? How did they respond to everyone, it? Everyone I wrote to reacted really quickly and was super keen and really into the idea. It was particularly with the independent promoters because obviously all of their income streams have gone. Putting on shows is all they do. So it was just really, really nice to find a way to continue working with them. And every venue and every promoter treated it a bit differently. I just, it was very much winging it and making it up as, as I went along. So when I, when I contacted people, I said we could arrange a standard sort of ticket split. I'd, um, I decided that I'd just stream live, have it open to everyone and just ask for donations. So I suggested that out of the donations that come in, we could arrange a split or, or, or not. So some of the venues said, keep it, this is great, you do it, but keep 100%. And with others who really needed the help, we arranged a split. And some were also in conjunction with the hashtag Save Our Venues campaign. So it was just nice that it turned into something that was much bigger than just me like promoting a single. Yeah, yeah. okay, great. Well, we'll dig into that a little bit and, and what fans were enjoying uh, shortly. Hen, as ever, you're, you're our sort of useful connector here and you're sitting in with CD Baby, you're sitting in between you know, uh, large platforms and what audi big audiences want and you're dealing with, with emerging artists as well. You speak to a lot of emerging artists. What, what were they saying when suddenly, um, like all artists in the world, all their plans went out the window and, and those emerging artists and, the, and what, what did they do? Um, you know, I, I think there was a couple of weeks there of a, a proper holy shit moment. What am I going to do now? Because I'm not going to have any live income for the foreseeable future. And there was, I think a lot of people were in a really dark place, but I'm really impressed how quickly artists were able to pivot their thinking and just start going, just start researching new platforms, new opportunities. And I think so many have been really, really good at adopting this new model and just understanding it and experimenting and figuring, f figuring out what works and what doesn't work and then kind of learning from each other. And, and also partnering with brands. I think that's been a proper shift, especially in the kind of DIY indie artist world where traditionally maybe it's been a bit difficult for them to, to like find brands that want to, to take a little pun on them you know but um but a lot of artists have like Roxanne you know been teaming up with venues and promoters etc to, to host live streams so mm. it's, yeah been positive yeah yeah it's 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 good to see everyone uh it, well they're forced to adopt uh, new ways of working but that's often the most exciting time in, in one way as well as being like you say the, the holy shit moment um now uh what perhaps we can move on to then is the, the nitty-gritty of what people actually want and what what we've learned uh, We'll start with Russ again because um, Dice released a very interesting post a week or so ago. Of course, the world has completely changed in just about uh, every few days now, so I'm hoping it's still relevant. Um, but uh, you released a post with some learnings from, you know, suddenly moving across the live streaming. What What are your main observations? I mean, you, perhaps you can develop on some of these if things have changed. But what are your main observations around what fans, artists, and platforms want and need? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the real eye-opener for us has been the shift um, in the fan experience now that, we're, now that we've moved to predominantly paid live streams. 
and we saw it for the first time with uh, Lewis Capaldi. We did a, um, it was a cheap ticket, five pounds, um, him at home, um, but it was him playing the album acoustically. It's, it was on the date, it was on the anniversary, sorry, of, the, of, of his debut record. And he, and he performed the album um, acoustically for the first time. And um, it really, um, it, it really was um, shocking actually how much of the emotional experience of um, both buying a ticket and attending a gig was replicated in that. And now we're seeing that time and time again. And what I mean is that we're seeing people getting nervous for tickets going on sale. We're seeing people anticipating the show a week, planning their weekend around it. Um, they'll, they'll post pictures before the show with drinks out, ready to go, you know, the, the stream ready on the TV, the family sat around maybe. Um, and then during the show, you know, it's this outpouring of emotion that we're seeing on socials um, and also in our reviews after the, sh after the show where they're saying the most common thing people are saying is, look, it feels like I've just had my first night out in months. And that's very different to the free streams that we saw in the first kind of month or so, which felt very much more like something that people were um, obviously not committed to in any way and would maybe tune into for a small amount of time and then drop out or they'd watch multiple streams. Whereas this is, this is something that you're doing on Thursday night or on Saturday night that actually um, you're, you're, you're excited about in the same way you would be if you were going out to a gig on that night. Um, and that's really interesting because there's something psychological in um, people paying that's making them see that value and have that that um, bigger sort of commitment and connection. And also um, something about make, getting people to actually sit down and really watch the performance as a new form of home entertainment that is is really brand new and unprecedented, I think. So we've seen it a few times now, um, you know, just two weekends ago with, with Laura Marling, um, who did a beautiful um, concert at, at Union Chapel just incredibly intimate. Um, this is where elements, um, you know, once, once you're charging for tickets, obviously you can also spend more on production. You can go to a venue. Um, you know, she had an incredible um, director called Giorgio Testi, um, who, who's, who's, who's one of the best um, live um, directors you, you'll, you'll find anywhere. And, and he's able to not just shoot it like he would a concert, but actually to achieve angles that you never could if there was an audience in the room. And the way that they set up the venue with multiple um, stages for her to perform on and every, everything around it is very unique. So I think what we've discovered is that, you know, this is really a brand new format. It's not an hour long music video. It's not the same as going and doing a Jules Holland or a TV performance. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and, that, and that's something exciting and something that has real value for fans. So I think this shift to paid is, is, um, it's really fantastic for, for everyone and, um, and including the fans. So, so we're developing essentially a, a, a third product. You, it's, 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 it's not, it's not uh, recorded music streaming. It's not uh, a live gig. It's, it's, it's an event, which is a separate thing itself. It's something new. And, and it's the, the, the reference we keep coming back to is, is, is sports. So if you think about, um, go, if, you, if you're a Manchester United fan, um, the best experience that you can have is to get the ticket for um, Manchester United and go to Old Trafford. And you're there in the stadium and it's, you know, it's an unbelievable experience. Remember the, the rest of your life. The second best experience is probably being in the pub um, with your mates and you're watching the game. The third is probably at home um, and you're watching it on uh, BT Sport or Sky Sports. Um, but you're paying either way. Mm. Um, you're, you're paying for the ticket or, or the pub is paying for the license or you're paying for your subscription to BT Sports. Now what we do in music is we say, 
if you can't get the ticket to Old Trafford, you can't see the game because we only sell the tickets and it's, it's a capacity. And if you are um, an Adele fan and you didn't get the ticket to the O2 Arena show, you can't watch it. You can't go. But think about how many people there is who around the world even would love to be at that concert. But it's hard to go to a concert. You have mm. to be in the right city on the right day. You have to get the ticket before it sells out. You have to have someone to go with. You have to be able to afford to get there. You have to be able to afford drinks and food and everything around it. So we really think that there's something new here that has really, um, it has real longevity to it as a concept as it establishes during this time when people are more forced to watch it. Mm. So that's what we're excited about now. Yeah. Roxanne, in, in the same sort of sense then, you know, you've, how, many sh how many shows do you do again in, as, your, as part of your tour? It was seven shows. Seven shows, which is a fairly... Uh, uh, committed uh, stint at doing some live shows so what what did you what was your main observations or takeaways from doing that maybe maybe from an artist's perspective about how you know what was interesting russ said was that it can't just be a straight gig it has to be something else what what did you what did you notice well um this is more sort of by the by but i definitely noticed how much energy just goes on traveling i didn't miss the megabus or the train or the van <laughs> yeah. um having said that it was also interesting that you kind of get into the same routine as an artist because you've got the show time so you've got the weird when am i going to eat window and all the same kind of problems just that you don't leave the house did you, did you get the same adrenaline rush when you because there was no crowd waiting out you couldn't hear the noise no, I didn't get the same adrenaline rush, although for the first show in particular, it's, it's a different type of stress when it's mm. tech that you're worried about and yeah. not going live. Um, it's, it is a different thing from a, from a performance point of view as well. It's not the same as a live show. Um, in some ways, it's much more intimate especially when you're doing that type of live stream where you immediately see the reaction and, and people are asking questions and you get to answer them in a way that you'd never accept as a heckle. At like, at an but did, did you do that as you were, you, 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 answered, you talked to, you chatted with them as they were watching? If you're, if you're an artist and you're doing a Facebook Live or an Instagram, I'd say that's expected. That's definitely part of it. Right. Um, and it's, it's nice. It's, you know, it's a, it's a way to differentiate it from a show and it makes it sort of, yeah, more intimate and more special. Having yeah. said that, though it's, you don't perform in the same way you are, playing to your laptop so that has plus plus points and what about that feedback loop you know artists you know they, they feed off the energy of the crowd or the or being able to look in their faces and seeing emotional responses and you're getting a text a scrolling text screen of feedback does well, that have an impact i mean does it you, you're saying it's a bit different is that how does that work the, the the burst of hearts is um the closest you get to, to feeling applause i think that's a nice feeling I would, um, I would agree that for my fans, even though my shows were, were free to access technically, for my fans who already knew me and already had bought into me, I experienced that same lovely excitement of people before the show posting pictures of where they're watching or, you know, I had the same group of, what I didn't expect is I had a core group of fans like following me on tour who were there every night, right. which hasn't happened in really in the outside world um so i hadn't thought of that so that was that was nice that that was like a little tour family so they'd share again that that sharing that very emotional sort of sharing on social media that was a very yeah. 
And perhaps we're skipping ahead a bit here, and I'll come to you in a second, Hen. But talking about fans that follow you around, you know, that's obviously the dream uh, situation. Uh, and in, in real life, that probably only happens when you hit, you know, sort of uh, BTS level or something, and people follow you around the world. So now, you know, now you've got a taste of that. That's good. Um, what about, you know, when we look at similar sort of fan behaviors in other areas, when you look at Twitch streamers streaming games and they have their super fans who watch everything they do, every stream they do, and they pay, they tip, they tip uh, in, in a very public way to show that they're the biggest fans. I'm assuming that's something you would be interested in as, as, a, as a sort of a transactional two-way thing with your audience. Well, that's kind of what ended up happening. So if we're talking about finances, what really amazed me, what I thought was super interesting, that considering I didn't have travel expenses and I didn't have to, you know, had no hotel costs, I ended up walking away from that virtual tour with pretty much the same amount of money as I would have um, had a, at an actual tour. Right. So that was really interesting. This isn't going to work if you're a new artist and you're just mm. starting out, and I appreciate that. But if you have a fan base, that's um, something something to consider. So, uh, and, and, just, just, and how how were people contributing money to your shows? Was it was it through donations or ticket or some sort of just, virtual just ticket? Things, I, I'd always have my PayPal link up right. in the description of the stream, save for the very last show where I teamed up with. Um, melting Vinyl, great independent promoter in Brighton. And it, that was a mix. They'd actually put some tickets up on, some streaming tickets up on Dice, um, also with a suggested um, fee. And that mix, that mix worked well. But yes, yeah, so anyone could access the shows for free. So you'd of course have a large amount of people who just sort of tune in and out and watch the, watch the stream and, mm. and not pay. And then you'd have like a mid-tier of, five or 10 pounds and then there were that group of fans who would pay yeah more than what i would normally charge for a ticket for a show right. great that's good now patrick i know we've got lots of questions coming which is great so i'm just going to jump to hen uh, and then we'll come straight to you uh, in question corner uh hen so we've i think what interesting thing roxanne said there was that for for emerging artists with perhaps a smaller fan base that's a bit more of a difficult thing to do you will have people perhaps wanting to c commit money while you're performing live, but it could be your mum uh, if you're on the emerging uh, end of the, um, uh, of the artist spectrum. So R Russ was talking about Lewis Capaldi with an enormous, enormous fan base uh, and people having evenings together and having a picnic indoors. Uh, Roxanne was saying about having uh, an established fan base who are willing to chip in when, when you ask. What about those, the, you know, it's always a it's always a um, a thorny thing talking about people doing something for free for exposure, but when you're at the emergent end of the art of the, of the market, when you're looking just for growth, is that something you would recommend? And is it, and what ways perhaps are there of making money with a smaller fan base? Um, so I think I think what Dice has been promoting that that some form of payment should take place. I think I think it's I think it's healthy for fans to expect that culture should should be or should have a value. Um, but in saying that, I think there's different different types of live, live streams, right? So I work with this country duo called Two Ways Home, and they've been doing a, like a huge number of live streams from, from their sofa, where they're just kind of, they're playing a couple of tracks acoustically, and they have their PayPal link up, and they get some donations. But I think once you're talking about more kind of, of a production, then I definitely think that ticket prices should be included in that. However, like you're saying, with emerging artists, that is a bit of a problem. Um, but I think what, what we've been seeing a lot is that, you know, artists of a certain level or a certain, like, 
they they have been putting on shows on their own where they have been the only performer and they haven't really been they haven't really had that many support acts for instance and i think i think that's something that we should start thinking about that those artists should be curators you know they have an amazing opportunity to to bring other artists with them along on the ride and maybe share a little bit of their ticket ticket price you know mm. um, so a, a bit like how roxanne essentially toured venues facebook pages artists could play each other's facebook pages exactly and you know festival there's been a lot of festivals such as liverpool sound city they've been doing a, a like a takeover thing every week where they've been putting on bigger name artists from across the uk but then also giving an opportunity to smaller acts so you know key change had a had a takeover for liverpool sound city the other day and they feature you know some some credible names to to encourage people to buy into it to pay the ticket price or to pay the subscription cost and then as a bonus you know you, you give a platform to emerging artists. I think I think that's somewhere that we should try to shift towards and encourage artists, encourage them to become curators because they are the coolest curators that that is that that's available out there. You know. Yeah, they might even be getting closer to that uh, fabled dream of the emerging artist, which is being judged on their music alone, which uh, which could work. You know, if you, if you work social media well enough. You know, um, uh, Patrick, uh, we've had a ton of questions in, which is great. Uh, and some which I think will be aimed at Russ and, and some at Roxanne and some at everybody. So would you like to uh, throw a couple into the mix? Sure. I mean, we had a couple questions that came in from the very beginning, which I think we've sort of touched on. But I just wanted to draw back to something we talked about um, when we did our Broken Record special. Um, and this is actually quoting from, from Katie Tunstall when um, she mm. wrote on the, on the Guardian, and I'll pop a link into this as well. Um, but she basically said, online, everyone was clamoring to be entertained and just expecting to get it for free. This is Katie speaking. There was a general feeling uh, that I was getting on social media, you're not gigging anymore, you're just sitting at home, so why not get on Facebook or Instagram and play for us? And her response was, I tell you why I don't want to do that. It's because that's how I make a living. I've lost 200 shows this year and it's completely decimated my income. So just from the broken record aspect, we've been looking at streams and we've been trying to understand this. One of the questions that came out of the audience was, um, why are people willing to pay for a live stream? And I, you know, I, I really, the donation side of it obviously makes a lot of sense, but you know, as we go further into this, uh, this COVID where everyone was, was jumping out and sort of doing a live stream, I feel like week one, week two, and it just sort of got, got overwhelming. Um, I suppose, why are people paying for it? That would be one, one like aspect, you know, where, where do we think about adding value? And then to kind of put this together, we've had a couple questions in as well um, about VR as well, about tying these things together. And what else can we do to make, uh, maybe reference of what Laura Marling's done, um, but what else can we do to make these experiences, and as Music Ally calls them, creating virtual experiences be beyond just a live stream? And what are the thoughts of, of the panel there of how we can sort of integrate that? And then final point, is moving forward, uh, what will the future, once gigging is back, of this live streaming be and live gigging, and do we see it being a new world that we go enter into? Mm, there. Russ, a uh, lot, lot, lot to uh, choose from there, smorgasbord of questions. Uh, would you like to pick one, Russ, and, uh, yeah, and dive so in there? I think on the, on the sort of creativity front, that's, that's the main topic. I'd say, you know, we're talking to um, hundreds of artists um, right now who are going to be going on sale with paid live stream events in the next sort of few weeks. Um, and the main topic of conversation is, is how do we create something um, really valuable um, for fans um, uh, that, that's really creative and fresh. And one of the things that we also posted in the, in the article that we put up a few weeks ago is that there needs to be a reason um, for the stream. Um, 
it has to be, you know, is, is the artist in campaign, you know, like Roxanne, is, is it in, in support of a new release? If, you, if you're out of cycle, then I think suddenly putting up a show, it would be like, why, why are you putting that up? Um, if you wouldn't be putting on a normal um, tour at this point, you know, it's really thinking about, does it actually make sense in terms of where you are um, at the moment to be doing a show? And then how can you make that show even more special? I think even, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, why did Laura Marling's show do so well in the US? Well, there was a few hooks to that. One is that that date would have been the last date of her US tour. The other is, um, even though I guess a lot of people in the US don't know what Union Chapel is, doesn't it sound like a beautiful venue to see Laura Marling performing? Um, so I think, uh, I think we, we've got to look for these um, hooks every time. And, and it's definitely the artists who are thinking more about creativity that um, are selling the most tickets. I'd say though on VR, um, I think it's important that we don't bombard fans with too many brand new things all at once. We're already asking people to pay for a live stream, which is something they've never done before. We're already asking people to sit on a Saturday night and watch a live stream concert instead of Netflix, which is something brand new to them as well. And I think that we shouldn't overcomplicate this. We should try and lean into the things that people are already familiar with, like buying tickets and say watching something on YouTube and kind of put those things together um, to create a more accessible yeah. kind of new new format. Um, so well, from a platform perspective, you know, you've you've like you said, you've you've built this great piece of technology at Dice that allows people to find gigs and buy tickets, uh, and it works perfectly well uh, as well with virtual gigs. We, you know, we've spoken about ticketing as being your sort of main uh, drive at the moment. But do you think that people will be looking for a combination of ways to contribute to artists as they're performing? So maybe they don't want to do a ticketed show, but they want to accept tips, or they don't want to do a ticketed show, but they want to be able to sell merchandise. Is that something you're going to provide functionality for? Yes, and um, there's some really exciting experiments coming up, especially around merchandise. So one of the things that a few artists are looking at the moment is how do you replicate the um, experience of visiting the merch stand at the end of the show digitally? Because when do you love the artist more than just at the end of the show? Oh, well, we, we have that here for you. So uh, Roxanne has shipped before you. Uh, she, she's got a piece of cardboard with the CD on it. That's excellent. But what, what are you thinking of doing with that, Rusty, in terms of, I mean, without giving things away that you can't uh, tell us, what... Uh, well, I think a few, a few people are considering it, so I don't mind revealing it. It's um, really the idea of um, having a, a private merch store online that gets sent to all the fans that have attended the stream who paid for a ticket just at the end of the show. And it's, it's like an hour window at the end and it gets sent to everyone and, um, and it's limited, limited edition merchandise um, based on, on that event. And I think that's a really nice idea. And I think we're going to continue to see um, more people innovate around um, all these add-on type options during the stream um, and, and after the stream as well. So that's an opportunity for exclusively for the people who bought the ticket to see the stream or, or within the stream, they get the chance to buy exclusive merchandise at the end within a limited time. Exactly. Um, to, to, and that sort of seals the deal on the ticket, doesn't it? Roxanne, does that sound good to you as a kind of... Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So yeah. I'd love to try that out. Yeah. And Russ, Russ, could artists like Roxanne essentially, you know, one of my favorite things going to gigs is when the, you know, the singer leaves the stage and says, right, I'm going to go over to the merch stall and then you can go and queue up and get your, get your tote bag signed or something like that. Is that something that perhaps you could even have as a continuation of the live stream? Yeah, and there's, there's people um, doing some, some interesting experiments with VIP kind of options as well. So we did an event with uh, David Guetta on the top of the Rockefeller Center. 
Um, yes. And we, and we sold the um, VIP tickets for that. And then the 4,000 VIP tickets got you on a Zoom call in front of David Guetta on this huge screen and while he DJed so that he could kind of interact with you um, during the during the performance. That's so very Guetta. That's, very uh, yeah. Guetta. And as the Empire State Building lit up and everything, it was all, yeah, it was all very David Guetta. But um, I think for those fans, um, an incredible experience. I mean, on that event, we sold tickets in 108 different countries. Wow. Um, so just people all over the world that just wanted to be part of that and actually be in the event itself, which is um, kind of taking it to a whole other, other level, more like a kind of stage invasion. <laughs> yeah, 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 great. Yeah, but what one that he can cope with. Um, uh, Patrick, do we have any more questions? Perhaps something for, for Roxanne? Um, we did have one that was uh, specific about how many tickets did Lewis Capaldi sell, if anyone's able to uh, divulge such information. And then, yes, we did have uh, a question uh, for Roxanne and uh, Henrietta. Um, is What would your dream future, future for a live streaming platform be, uh, if you could have the live streaming platform of your dreams? Roxanne, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, if if you have a unique something that you're you're desperate to to uh, to have, tell us that. But what what about the merchandise thing? You know, you could you perhaps tell us as well about how you solve that problem, and is that a unique feature you'd like? Well, I think exploring interactivity, like like Russ, you were just talking about. I think that's really interesting, and how how you can continue that. For me, I suppose I'm lucky that I've got a really engaged fan base. And even those people who sort of, who, who came to one of the shows and, and became an engaged fan, it just, it just works well because my business at the minute is a super independent one. So I'm doing the live stream, I'm interacting with them, and I've got the link to my shop, which is just on my website. And then if someone buys vinyl or a book or CD or whatever off of me, I reply to their email and I write a note that gets shipped to them. So that's very personal anyway. Um, so I suppose, God, that's such a good question. But Did you notice any sort of increase or change in, in purchases of, of, of merchandise and, and things from your store in relation to your live gigs? Absolutely. It kind of worked, again, surprisingly similarly to a normal show. Um, right. Um, I mean, having my little... You show us again, yeah, this, is, this is good, I like this. It was helpful, they had that in the background. Um, but I'm really interested in, I know that there are going to be more and more on-location um, streams, so if you do that, it would just be interesting to see how you can keep that interactivity and that intimacy of, of that immediate interaction on-location. For instance, I was, at, I was at the Laura Marling show as well, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I didn't expect her to, to say anything because that's very much the kind of artist she is. Um, but for, for other artists, it would be interesting to see how that would work, you know, if there's a little Q&A yeah. in between songs. Yeah, interesting to see how artists who maintain this sort of, uh, you know, deliberate sort of distance between them and the, and the, and the audience uh, react to that kind of thing. Hen, what, what would your dream, you, you, you watch a lot of gigs, what, what would your dream feature be? I think, I wanna, I think I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I'm not quite sure, mm. to be honest. I, I think it would be around interactivity as well. Um, but I more so wanted to pick up on a couple of the questions that Patrick sure. had before about why it's, why it's important to pay. Uh, and also exciting new opportunities in the future. And I think I think it's really important that as an industry, we we've we've been focusing on 
artists and venues and obviously rightfully so because they are suffering right now but there's a whole ecosystem of of workers of participants within that ecosystem that are also suffering the the live industry is very much relying on freelancers whether you're talking about photographers caterers riggers lighting techs tour managers like so many individuals in this whole ecosystem that right now are not getting paid you know that they don't have a job Mm. Um, and I think it's important that we, you know, as we're moving forward, and I think that live streaming is going to continue in one way or another for, for, for a long time, because people have probably found it quite comfortable to watch a really nice production from their sofa. In their pajamas, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I think, you know, focusing on that quality and ensuring that we can employ people in the process to do the lights, to, to help the artist with whatever is, is really important. Um, and I think one of the other questions that Patrick brought out from the Q&A was about what interesting opportunities do we have in the future and I think especially speaking from an independent perspective the whole concept of a global like a global audience is so exciting because you know so, some of the biggest streaming meccas in the world whether you're talking about Jakarta or Mexico City they are so far away they are so expensive to get to and you know you have you have to know people you have to have this whole big setup but we are now living in an existence where as long as you can just w work around the time zones you can have a, an asia you know east asia specific mm. gig that works for, for that region you can do the same for latin america and you can tap into a much wider audience at a fraction of the cost which is yeah. super super exciting and i think that will also have an impact in what we're going to see in streaming trends you know the kind yeah. of artists that are popping up so yeah sorry yeah Long great way. yeah i mean we're, we're talking about money here and we'll talk about the future in a second uh, before we wrap things up because we've, we've rattled through time here which is great um uh, perhaps we'll start with you on this one russ this is just a sort of quick Quick question to throw at you really but you, you were talking about um, different opportunities for people to pay and Roxanne you were saying as well people were willing to support you uh, and Hen you were saying the same thing from around the world are we are we entering a phase now where you think that the relationship which we've talked about this a little bit in, in past shows but the relationship between fans and artists the, the fans are starting to understand for, for want of a better way of putting it their role their place in moving money towards the artist in order to support the thing that they love. It's all, there's always been a sort of perceived distance. You put money into a black hole and then, you know, an album falls out or a gig comes to you, you know. Mm -hmm. And now we're sort of, there's a, does the closer relationship mean that they feel more personally supportive of these artists as well, do you think? I think potentially, yeah. I mean, um, it does feel very direct. It does feel very intimate. I think paying and watching one of these concerts. Um, uh, Roxanne, you know, if you watched Laura, it felt like, yeah, she was at Union Chapel, but she was also in your front room, like there, like really singing to you. It was, it's, it's really, um, it, does, it does feel like it's, um, and, and it's something that obviously we talk about in the music industry all the time, but it does feel like it's, it's made that gap a little bit smaller again. Um, so yeah, so that might be that might be another reason why why people are why people have been so willing to pay and um, yeah, we just really encourage um, lots of artists and lots of artists like I say already already starting to do plans for shows to go and sell in the next few weeks. But really encourage um, all artists to consider this um, as as a way of um, not just generating money for themselves, but also to create an incredible moment for their fans that that they will really remember and um, really feel like a, a, an I was there moment, um, just like if they were to sing. Um, the show in real life. So, so it might potentially be 
a situation where an artist like Roxanne, who is very independent and doing everything herself, you, you, you might sort of want to look at aligning all these different things that you, you were going to schedule a show, you're going to either sell tickets or do it for free with donations, and then you're going to have exclusive merchandise just for that show to make it this one special event. So it's almost like you said, Rusty, I was there event. Is that, and is that how you're, are you thinking you're doing more in the future, Roxanne, with that in mind? Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, um, Hen, you were describing that one moment of, oh, what am I going to do earlier? For me, it was much more of a creeping realization of, okay, this is going to be like this for a while, isn't it? So I definitely, I'm definitely planning more things. And I'm also going to see um, how, oh, I'm definitely going to keep an element of this back when we can play. Well, that you've, you've, you've neatly segued onto my final question, and I appreciate that, uh, Roxanne, which is when, and we don't know, obviously we've no idea when venues will be able to open again of any size, really, but it, let's, let's assume it's within the next 12 months, um, hopefully. When that happens, do you, and this is open to everybody, maybe we'll start with you, Roxanne, as we're talking to you, do you see that this is going to be something which is permanent and is going to become this third income stream, is going to augment your, um, your, your, your income and your performing life? And if so, what, what, how does that affect your marketing, touring and planning from, from an artist's perspective? So, yes, I think it is something that's here to stay. Um, it's a good thing, as you kind of already alluded to, for accessibility. Not everyone can come to a show. So why wouldn't you, if the, if the show is sold out, why wouldn't you have a stream as well and, and make that accessible to people who wouldn't be able to come to the show? Um, equally, just as add-ons and different things, for instance, this coming week from Monday, I'm just going to do a little reading out of my book every day on Instagram Live. So that's not even a show and that is going to be free, but it's just something I would have never done before this. So that's think, an uh, interesting point. It's a, just a, sorry to jump in, but is that an evolution of yourself as an artist? And you think that they will do that? You know, it's more about being able to communicate outside of music with, with, with audiences in, in that sort of uh, close connection and emotional way. Absolutely. And this is really something that I never would have done that before. But once you get over that fear of pressing the go live button and your, your fans and your friends are there and they're ready to talk to you and it's quite mm. amazing. So there's definitely a lot of, um, yeah, there are many silver linings to be, to be seen if that's not too frivolous. No, that sounds, that sounds great. And how do you think you would, if you were, you know, you, you do everything yourself, you're very DIY, you're, you're scheduling, a, let's say in the, in the future you can, you can tour again. Um, how would you, do you have an idea how you might balance real world gigs with streaming? Would you not stream real world gigs because you want to keep those experiences special? Not necessarily. And again, I think, yes, I'm an independent artist, but you, you, you know, you're always a team of some sort. Sure. So you work together with the promoter and you work together with the venue. So I always, yeah, I'd always say sort of take, take guidance from the people you're working with as well. If it makes sense to stream something live as well as play the show, why not? So I haven't really, I haven't, I haven't sort of got a strategy for that yet. I just, I just think it's a nice idea as a thing to have to, yeah, make, make music more accessible for people. Yeah. Russ, what do you think about that? Do you think when people can tour again, should they keep, should they stream real live gigs of a band or an artist playing in a room with people, or should they keep that offline and, and make the online streaming experiences special? Well, we're, we're actually already seeing um, in mainland Europe, um, 
hybrid shows um, which have audiences and um, live stream um, tickets for sale. So I think we can um, safely say that's going to be what happens going forward, um, especially while um, the gigs are going to have to be socially distant. So you're not going to be able to get as many people into the room. It's obviously just helpful to have another revenue stream there. But I do think that, um, you know, why not be able to watch uh, the, the London headline show of an artist or the New York headline show of the artist that you want to see or a hometown show um, and open that up to all of your fans all over the world. Um, it's, it's definitely um, what we're encouraging our venues to do as well. Um, so our venue partners who obviously we're, we're, we're you know, really hoping um, we'll be able to open their doors sooner rather than later. But um, while they've been closed, we're really trying to encourage people to explore live streaming strategies and a couple of them like Islington Assembly Hall or the underworld in Camden are actually already set up for live streaming now so that when an artist goes to play there, um, there's an opportunity for them to, to stream um, that event um, in addition to obviously the normal ticketing. So it's, it's really interesting to um, see it already happening. Um, and I think for some of our, our festival partners as well, it's something that, that, they're, that they're really looking at, especially as these events start to sell out. We've, we've all probably experienced the frustration of not being able to get to a gig because we were too late to get the ticket or it's sold out. And so uh, it's probably something, if it's your favorite artist and you can't see them, paying five euros to watch the gig streaming live would, would be a really good second best. And Hen, I mean, what about that then? Um, you said earlier about the, it's important to um, think of all the other people who are involved in venues and performing live, uh, you know, everyone else involved. Roxanne said it's a team game and it is potentially here what we've what we're looking at is a whole new crew of people because if you want to see a gig streaming live you want to see it shot well by good uh, camera people and and people who are editing it properly live um that could be exciting and and what about you would you is, is would you watch a would you be happy to watch a gig that's actually happening live Oh, completely. I think it, I, I think this whole thing is super, super exciting. It opens up a whole new world of opportunities in terms of the kind of live interaction that you can have with your fans. You know, um, I, I'm not quite sure how we managed to get through almost a whole hour without mentioning the BCS show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they streamed for 750,000 people last week. Or oh, this is the K-pop. Right. Yeah. And they gained 10,000 new fans to their, to their, as well as obviously selling a shitload of tickets and making a lot of money. They added 10,000 more people to their... And it's the technical description of how many tickets they sold, <laughs> I think, yeah. But, but so their, their fan group has grown and they can, you know, they can now arrange, say, a gig for, for that specific fan club group of people. Mm. And they can say, we're testing out new material, give us your feedback. You know, it's like, it's like a, a real life, a and R process almost that that you can't have in 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 the same way within an arena. Obviously, you can kind of hear when people are screaming and not, but but the comment, mm. the kind of intricacy of detail that you can get from your fans, that's yeah, incredible. This, this uh, goes this goes back to something actually, doesn't it? To we had um, Martin Jensen on here a few weeks ago, the uh, Danish. DJ with a, over a billion streams on Spotify. And uh, he has been live streaming him DJing from a series of incredible locations like the, the middle of the National Football Stadium and, and in an aircraft hangar surrounded by aircrafts and flames and things like that. Today. Yeah, yeah, on a boat, yeah. uh, much like Patrick with his flames there. He's taking uh, uh, Martin's advice. Um, and he's been streaming to millions of people uh, just as free for an experiment but he said all the data and the feedback he got was was invaluable and it keeps his brand high as well exactly it's mm. it's super super exciting and and you know 
it's creativity is the limit here, I think, in terms of what you can do. Uh, and also, like you, you briefly mentioned, support, supporting more, more people in the, yeah. in the ecosystem and yeah. make it, making sure that we survive as, an, as a creative industry. Right. Patrick, uh, you're, uh, you're... Yeah, I just want to bring up one thing to the supporting aspect, which thanks for bringing that up as well, Hen, and I know that that's sort of not everyone's role here, but I think that is a really important thing to remember, and I, I really like what Frank Turner did early on, where he did a bunch of live streaming, it was all to a GoFundMe link, I think he raised £40,000 in the end, but 100% of that money went to his touring crew, because he was like, I've got an 11-person family that is not going to be going on tour. I'm okay. I've got streaming right now. I'll be all right. Um, but I think more of that, especially as we're in this, this transition phase of there's so many opportunities and I love how we've, we've talked on those, but you know, at the same time, how do we transition? Because there will be, I, mean, I know a lot of companies, if we talk about the AI space, there's a lot of uh, companies investing in AI cameras. So more of this stuff is actually going to be able to do be done with less people, but how do we make sure that we take care of our existing industry at least until they can get, you know, we can all get back on our feet. I think that's another important conversation to keep having. Mm. And um, are there any more questions we can, we can perhaps yeah, finish I mean, off with? One for, for, there's a few different ones. One actually just a comment that I thought was pretty interesting. Patty Spinks has said that um, maybe in future when a band's playing a premium venue, they would do like the, the warm up or the, the, the sound check as a live stream beforehand and sort of start incorporating the two of these. Um, but yeah, there's a question uh, for Russ, really, of um, A, saying loving what DICE is doing, but I mean, is there anything that you can think of um, that's been the most usual performance? The question was also any other kind of arts performances, but is there anything that you can point to that you feel like just really nailed it and done something different that, that DICE has worked on? Really unusual? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if anyone's topped Greta yet, but uh, I think there was a few elements to that. You know, the interactivity, the location, um, there, there, was, there was a lot in that and it really suited him um, but I think it's about finding the right thing that's right for, for each artist and, and, and doing something that just feel, feels, feels right um, yeah, for, that, for that particular show Yeah, Roxanne, do you have any gigs planned on top of uh, tall buildings anywhere like David Guetta or are you sticking to your No, I have one planned but that is not to be disclosed yet I'm afraid. Oh, okay, no exclusives on this show okay. Can I add one thing? Of um, always, yes Sort of my my dream stream now and it kind of, it goes back to a point that was just made earlier but also with my FAC hat on talking about the interim phase we really really need to be mindful of like a talent pipeline and artists who are starting out and I hen I love your idea of just we're already so used to having a support act with regular shows so I'd love to see more of that and we've got a huge problem that there's no there's no live music on tv like there's maybe graham norton and jules holland but i think now is a real good opportunity to have more jules holland like formats with high profile artists and new artists mixed in a streaming context i think that would be really exciting and really helpful for for everyone russ do you think that's something that perhaps could be you know you're you're, you're looking at um providing these kind of opportunities in terms of finding gigs do you reckon you know you you might start offering that kind of role as well with, through your platform of well, I think it's a, I think it's a great bands. idea and something that we've already been trying to encourage um, larger artists to consider support acts. I think that probably in the next few months we'll start to see those start to happen. But yeah, on Roxanne's point, I wonder if it's something to explore even more like a new kind of online TV format. Um, we're all, we all miss the 
good old days of Top of the Pops, so <laughs> maybe now's the time. Everybody says this, and Top of the Pops is still not back on TV. I don't, I, I've still, it's a mystery to me. Uh, but yeah, that, that could be great, couldn't it? Okay, well, I think we'll, we'll wrap the panel up there because I'm aware I've kept you all for an hour and we've flown through that. Um, but uh, one thing I will point out, I made a note of this earlier, that we're talking about VR, playing on Melody R in Melody VR's app tonight is Cypress Hill. So that should be an exciting uh, one to mind-altering in many ways, I should imagine, uh, in VR. So that's one to check out um, later. Now, uh, so, uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Russ, from DICE. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to, we'll, we'll do final farewells shortly. But Hen, um, we're going to jump across to you. Now, every week, uh, Hen and the team at CD Baby um, have been uh, looking for good news. We've been, we've been in... We started this feature because of, of coronavirus bringing a lot of bad news and then the world just got sort of exponentially more uh, concerning in that time. And so Hen is making a positive uh, step to book for positive news. And uh, her and the team at CD Baby have something every week. And so what do we have, Hen? But actually, this isn't, this isn't so much of a big news story this week, but um, I just wanted to flag something that Marlon already kind of put in the chats because we're on the topic of live streaming. And just a little plug of one of the CD Baby artists, Emma McGann, she's recently published a five, I think it's a five episode YouTube series that goes into detail around everything that has to do with live streaming, about lighting, audio, all the different quality things. I, I just wanted to do a little plug for her because I think that's a really nice artist driven initiative um, that people should check out. And the link is already in the chat. Oh, fabulous. And what's the reaction been like to that? Um, so far, so good. I think she launched it yesterday or something. But mm. but but she's already. You guys have featured her as in musical. You featured her quite a lot already because she's she's absolutely fantastic at this whole game. So go check it out. Right. So and, and you know, good uh, play, way to look for inspiration uh, is to look at how other people are doing it, and, and as you said, Russ, finding the thing that connects with your uh, niche and your audience. I guess. Um, so um, Patrick. Um, finally, again, if people enjoyed this sort of analysis here from Music Ally, how can people uh, connect with Music Ally and uh, what can they get out of it? Sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, of course, hopefully most people will also be watching this back on YouTube. We're putting all these shows live on YouTube. Um, make sure to visit us at musically.com. Um, all of our social media links and things have actually been posted around as well. Um, but yeah, make sure to keep reading. Um, we're trying to pull more and more of the information of what we talk about here. We're going to be bringing more content like this. Um, but we always want feedback. We get our news from, from, from our wonderful subscribers. So keep us informed. We'll keep, uh, keep trying to talk about these topics and uh, make sure that we keep having shows that from those topics so uh, keep keep reading music ally yeah great and if you did enjoy that um you can go to musically.com forward slash subscribe uh, to look into a uh, a free trial subscription to music allies full analysis and uh service and including the, the daily newsletter from Stuart dredge who is unfortunately not here with us today uh so uh thank you to our illustrious panel i'm gonna uh, I'll, I'll go around the screen as i can see it uh hen as always uh hen heimdall from cd baby how can people get in touch with you uh, if they want to get in touch either find me on linkedin or shoot me an email on uk at cdbaby.com uk at cdbaby.com that's so simple <laughs> thank you very much hen a pleasure as always uh and uh roxanne next uh so first of all let's let's get a let's just get to the nitty-gritty here you're, you're single and your album when's it coming out how's it going what's going on and what should we know about it where do we find it and buy it 
Well, the single's out now. Single's called Arrays. So that's out on um, all the usual places. Also Bandcamp. So please do have a listen and check that out. Um, no idea what's happening with the album. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be great to keep in touch. So just Roxanne um, and Roxanne Music on Twitter and Instagram. Roxanne Music on Twitter and Instagram and uh, on Bandcamp and they can find and follow you and look for your readings and everything like that. Excellent. Thank you ever so much for joining us and, and uh, looking forward to watching your future live gigs and uh, maybe we'll get you back on in the future and um, see how they've gone perhaps when gigs have started again and how you fit all that together. But uh, yeah, thank you, Roxanne. Uh, very grateful. And uh, not quite last and by no means least, Russ, uh, CRO at DICE. Uh, thanks ever so much for joining us. If, if people want to work with DICE and they're interested in live streaming, what should they do? How can they get in touch with you and what's the best thing that you can do for them? If they um, just head to the DICE FM site, um, you'll be able to find different uh, ways to get in touch uh, based on kind of whether you're an artist or a promoter or a record label and yeah, you can navigate it from there. Um, there's plenty of ways to, to reach out and and if they haven't already, then to download the app, which is in the App Store and Google Play. Excellent. And uh, enjoy watching your favorite artists from the comfort of your own home. Oh, yeah. And a quick plug for a show tonight um, for an emerging artist. So Big Pig um, is doing a show, a live stream show tonight. And um, if people are watching this live um, from Moth Club, it should be cool. Yeah, and if, and if they're not watching it live, they can perhaps watch it back as well later on, which is another thing we didn't even discuss about live streaming shows, is the archiving of them. Uh, save that one for another time, perhaps. And finally, last, and by no means least, Patrick, thank you very much for, uh, as always, um, your grand entrance at the beginning, for uh, looking after all the questions and answers, and for your shirt. I'm particularly grateful for you coordinating beautifully today. Uh, do you want to make a, a, a grand exit as well? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I will do that. And I want to say thank you as always, Joe, the host of the most. Uh, none of this would happen without you. And respect for your Paisley, man. Respect for your Paisley. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks. Goodbye, Patrick. It's, uh, it's wow. He's so graceful <laughs> as he leaves the boat. Patrick's on a boat, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so that's it. Um, this will be as all the previous episodes, including the one with Martin Jensen, who streamed to a million people from a sports stadium surrounded by flames uh, on YouTube. So please check all those out. Uh, you can catch up with Music Ally on Instagram at Music Ally Biz, Twitter at Music Ally, and Facebook at Music Ally FB. Once again, um, there's lots of links in the chat, so uh, click those there freely now. Uh, you can email Anthony, that's uh, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, at musically.com for any queries. And that is it. Thank you to everybody uh, here uh, in the panel. Thank you all, of course, for getting, uh, not forgetting you, everyone at home are watching us. Thanks for joining us once again, and see you next week. Goodbye.